Now, you might be wondering, who was that? Good question. That is my niece. Her name is Emma Rose. She's heard that song once in her life when she was here a couple weeks ago when Corey got baptized. That's why you need to be here, people. That's, that's why your kids need to be in church, people. That's exactly why. That's why you can't take a Sunday off. That's why you can't miss. That's why you can't just cop out and not be a part of it because that's what happens when they're here and nothing happens when they're not. We've got to remember that. It's an incredible thing. My sister sent me that this week. I said, hey, Emma Rose. She wasn't excited about being on screen this week, but, but I told her she was going to be. I didn't really get her permission. She's in preschool. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and yeah, the, the whole family sat right over here a couple weeks ago and, uh, and were a part of the service, and that was, that was her takeaway. Um, so just keep that in mind, how even those small moments can change someone just like that. It's incredible. It's incredible. I want to give you a couple pieces of information. First of all, you might have noticed during the first worship set that it was very, very dark in here. Um, not completely intentional. There's a really loud buzz in the speakers when we use these trough lights, um, and so we can't have them both going at the same time. So that's why, sorry, we're working on it. We'll figure it out eventually. Just wanted to give you a heads up so you knew that's what was going on. We weren't trying to do anything weird, just it wasn't working, and it was really annoying, so, so we killed the lights, right? So that's, that's what happened on that end. And I can't encourage you enough uh, to get involved on Wednesday night with these studies. Um, the, the, uh, the Worldview study is incredible. It talks about five different viruses, if you, five idea viruses that have infected our world to counter the Christian worldview, the Christian perspective, the way we should see this place from a God's perspective. There's, there's five very distinct things that this world will throw at us that are very relevant, very true, very modern right now in our, in our face that exist. And uh, that's what that study is about. And so I get the privilege of, of leading a group through that. So please, please, if you haven't already, get signed up for those things. We're so excited to offer this. We can never possibly learn too much. All right? I, did, I did bring a prop up here. It's called a stool. I know I don't sit down often, but just in case. My leg's still not 100%, so if, if I need to sit down, that's what that's there for. It's not a distraction, hopefully, for you guys. All right, here we go. School started for a lot of you, most of you, this last week, right? <laughs> I didn't know Danny went back to school, but congratulations, sir. Well, what grade are you in now? I'm not going to ask. Anyway, um, what do you remember about your first day of school? Now, for some of you, when I ask that question, probably some of you can go to a spot in your histoire, where you remember a first day of school. It's possible. Maybe it was because of a bad thing. Maybe it was a good thing. Maybe some of you are weird, like some of my sisters, and they can remember like every single first day of school their whole lives. I don't get that, like at all, because I don't remember really any of them. <laughs> Why? I don't, I don't remember them at all. In elementary school, I lived next to a couple of my friends, so I saw them, you know, kind of all summer and stuff, but I really didn't see any of my other friends the rest of summer. Depending on how old you are and where you lived, you probably had similar experiences where you really didn't see the people you hung out with um, during the school year, during the summer. Now, I always look forward to going back and, and seeing a few of those friends that you didn't get to see over the summer. That was kind of a fun thing. I can always remember going back just a few days before school, going back into the building. Do you remember those days? And you'd go to your, find your classroom and see your teacher list and who's, who's all in the class list and all that kind of good stuff. And probably some of you remember the year that you went in and you saw what teacher you had and you wanted to just walk right back out and leave because you didn't want that teacher. Can I just ask, what were you afraid of? And was it true? <laughs> Once you actually had that teacher, did that come into reality? Was it really that bad of a year? Why didn't you want that? Yes, it was. I heard people saying it. All right. 
Okay, we will not mention any names, all right, as to what happened there. Then there was a time in my life where there was that one girl, you know, right around the middle school age that you really didn't get to see in the summer, but then you did get to go back and see. So I was excited to go back and and see her because she was and still is beautiful. So that's kind of a fun thing to get to share. But other than that, I didn't like school. (laughs) Sorry, it just wasn't my thing. Um, I didn't get excited about going back to school. As a matter of fact, I was genuinely nervous going back to school. Did anyone else share that feeling? Every single year, all the way up, high school, college, grad school, going to the first day of class in grad school, I was the same way. I don't know why. Maybe it was the fear of the unknown. Maybe I didn't know what to expect Maybe he didn't know where I would sit or who I would have to sit by. <laughs> yeah, he didn't know that. Then, of course, I didn't know about the teacher. Middle school and high school, you had the whole locker thing and changing to new classrooms. And then if you went to a small school, then you had that one teacher again and again <laughs> and again. You know the routine, right? And it was always, yeah, you know the drill. And then there was lunch period and your friends weren't in it with you. Ah, so you had to skip study hall to go eat lunch. I never did that. Never one time. <laughs> Almost every day. Anyway, I ate two lunches. It was good. Um, I know that some parents were really excited about this last week and kids getting to go back to school. I understand that. Summer could not end soon enough for some families. I get it. Completely, I understand. However, I'm a little odd, and I know many of you as well, we hated to see this summer come to an end for lots of reasons, mainly because this was the shortest summer vacation in the history of summer vacations. Now, you might have looked at the calendar and said, nope, it's the same as, no, 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 last year was five months. So this summer vacation basically didn't even exist for most of us. We are, Chris and I are in a very firm belief now that we think school should end at spring break every year. And then send them back in August or September or whenever, you know, people. That's, we just think that's a great way to approach life from now on. I don't think anyone's going to listen to us. And some of you are like, no, please. No, please don't ever. No, 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 no. No, I understand. I understand. Here's the thing. I just pray that all of us, especially parents and probably grandparents too, cherish every moment that we get to spend with our kids. Amen. Right? As, as kids especially. And don't wish away those days of summer or those days of school that remain, because they go fast. Most of you know that, but some of you might not quite be fully in sync with that yet. This year's different, folks, as we send our kids back to school. It's a whole new world that they live in, right? Whether we realize it or not. Last year, when we sent them back to school, we were in the middle of a pandemic. We are not in the middle of a pandemic anymore, if you didn't know that. Pandemic is based on numbers. The numbers have decreased. We are not in a pandemic any longer. But we weren't just in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a very odd election season. We're in the middle of a worldwide economic crisis. We're in a world of crazy job situations and things being closed and just the world was just strange. We sent them back to school with their masks on, with their hand sanitizer strapped to their wrists with the Clorox wipes in their desk, all waiting for the moment when our kids would be sent home to quarantine for two weeks because they sat near a person who might have been exposed to someone who might have been tested positive for COVID. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making play of it. I'm, that's the reality of the world in which we lived last year. And here's the reality that we now can look back and go, you know what? 
God was with us through all of that, wasn't he? <laughs> he was completely with us through every single moment of that. So now we look ahead and we go, okay, the year's coming, 180 school days on the docket, approximately, don't, it's not an exact number, 1,300 hours our kids will spend in school over this next year. Over the course of their childhood, that plays out to about 17,000 hours in school. That does not count extracurricular activities like sports and bands and choirs. It does not count preschool and it does not count college. 17,000 hours, give or take. Parents, we're going to be sending our kids away to someone and trusting them, someone that we do not know, and we're trusting them to influence our kids in the right direction. Now, from our life experiences, many of us can vouch that we've had some great teachers, haven't we? Not all of them, but we've had some great teachers that have been great influences in our life. They've been tremendous. We all have stories to share of those teachers who had an impact, a lasting impact in our lives. There are so many teachers and so many administrators that genuinely care for the students that are put under their protection, quite honestly. And those individuals are priceless, and we can't thank them enough. There's no way we possibly could. We need more, God, we need more of them. We shouldn't just be thanking God for the ones we have. We should be praying for God to send more of those people. We need more of them, people who teach them to learn to solve problems, how to think, and hopefully also show them the love of Christ. But, but, unfortunately, we live in a world where parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, if you got neighbor kids nearby, the days are long gone where we can now blindly send our kids to school and trust that they're going to be taken care of. Those days have long passed, that they will actually be taught the truth and the skills to determine what is truth and what is opinion, here's the thing. We now have to be fully invested in our kids' educations. We have to know what they're studying, how they're studying it, who's teaching it, and what they're teaching. Why? Because they're going to spend at least 17,000 hours in school. Now, if you compare that with the amount of time that they could potentially spend at church, None of which is guaranteed, mind you. If you attend a weekly service every day of your entire life and the service lasts an hour and a half and we're about an hour and 15, so we didn't quite get to that most Sundays, you're only going to be exposed to the Word of God for 6,162 hours over the course of your life. That's barely a third of the time we spend in school. And a majority of those 6,000 hours are spent after the highly impressionable, formidable, school-aged years. And of course, we're counting on the fact that our kids will remain a part of the body of Christ as they grow older. Seems like we're kind of leaving a whole lot of our child's development into the hands of others that may or may not share the beliefs that we do. Is that our role as parents? Or are we challenged to do something more? You see, our kids' educational development is essential to their success in this world. I am a believer in education. I actually enjoy learning, though I never enjoyed school. I love learning. It's so much fun to learn. But since there's no doubt that we must have that education, that development without a spiritual foundation is deceiving at best and fatal at worst. 
Your kids might grow up to be valedictorian of their class. Congratulations. They might be the president of a company. They might be the president of the school board one day. They might be a CEO, and that is awesome. But if all that success is not rooted in the truth of Jesus, then their eternity is devastation. You might be really proud of them, but that won't save them. They might end up working for one of the largest corporations in the world. They might run their own small business. They might work for a small local company. They might be a sports superhero. They might even get the privilege of staying home with their kids. <laughs> be awesome. Some of you have gotten to do that. But if their foundation is not in Christ and they don't live according to his ways, then what direction is their life headed? It's a both and. It's not an either or. Our kids have to have the confidence. Our kids are taught Our kids are taught to have confidence in themselves and in being whoever or whatever they feel like being. My question is, do they know that they're made in the image of God? Do they know that they have someone greater than themselves that they can rely upon and can depend upon? Because I've learned that I fail myself very frequently And if all I have is me, I'm in a world of hurt. Do they know that our God created them on purpose and for a purpose, that he has a plan for their life, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are beautiful and that they are loved? (laughs) Because our educational system will not teach them any of those things. Not one. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's begun to teach them exactly the opposite in many cases. Education is essential in this world. Honestly, if we receive a good education and we absorb that knowledge and those skills and those abilities, it will allow us to be more effective in sharing the truth of Jesus with other people. It's an incredible thing. The better spoken we are, the better writer we are, the better we can express our love for Him and all the things that He has done in our lives. The more skilled we are from the things that we have learned, the more we can show others His love by using those gifts that God has given us. Whether it's book learning or life skills, doesn't matter. The better we do them, the more we can represent Christ. Whatever God blesses us with financially through our work, we are able then to offer back to Him and change people's lives based on the generosity that we have been taught and instructed and now are now living out in our lives. It's not based on a level of income at all. It's just based on the amount of generosity, the willingness we have to offer those gifts back to God for all the things he has given us. A genuine type, a genuine form of worship. Parents, family members, are we showing our kids these things? Do we show them how God can use our education, whether our book learning or our practical life skills, our knowledge, to share the love of Jesus with others, to expand his kingdom? Because if we're not, we must. How else will they learn? Do we study, read with our kids, with our grandkids? Do we pray with our kids, with our grandkids, with our nieces, with our nephews? Do you have as much influence over your children as the schools do? as their coaches do? What is it that your kids see you doing in your life? What is it that you are specifically, intentionally trying to teach them? What examples are we setting for them? Are these things leading them closer to Jesus? 
Do they see His truths lived out in our lives? They will not read or learn the ways of Jesus at school. (laughs) They're going to learn them from you. (laughs) In fact, as we know, He has been nearly eliminated from our schools. So, as our kids go back to school this fall, I've got a few passages for you. Now, I debated different things. I debated actually typing these up and, and putting them on a nice little, you know, slightly fatter than a bookmarks kind of card and handing them out to you as you came in. But then I said, you know what? We have these really nice notes cards in the back of the seat backs in front of you, all around you. And so I'm going to challenge you. If you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, uncle, you hang out with kids a lot, I'm going to challenge you to write these verses down and specifically specifically share them with your kids over the course of this year. It's a very short list. There's four, five, six verses total. Some of these could be used with any age, any age of kids. You could make the note on your phone, however it is that you you write things down these days. Some are definitely geared toward older students, and some are going to require just a little bit of explanation. And you know what? That's great, because that's where you come in. You get to explain these things to your children. Read these to your families. Pray them over your kids. Pray them with your kids. Relate them to the discussions at the dinner table about the events going on in the world right now because they're highly relevant. The first one comes from the author of Paul, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. It's a very simple passage. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. If you think the world's confusing as an adult, can you imagine what a child thinks if they really stop to consider everything happening all around them? We have to teach them that the chaos and the disorder that exists all around them is the result of one word, sin. We must teach them that. And our God, our God is the God of peace. Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace. The conflict that exists all around us and all around them and will their entire life can only be brought to an end through the unity and the peace found in Jesus Christ and his spirit within this world. No other solution they're going to talk about at school, no other thing they're going to learn about at school, no other government proposal, none of that is ever going to bring peace to this place. They have to know that only can come from Christ. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Proverbs 3, verse 5, a very famous passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So as our kids are observing this chaos and the frustration, and it might be very simple things like, why do I have to miss school for two weeks? Or why can't I participate in this event because of this? Or why? And they just don't get it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Sometimes you can't figure things out. A lot of people have asked me that why question the last couple of weeks, and I would say, you know, I don't ever ask that question. I don't know why. I'm not going to figure out why, so let's just keep going. I'm still here. Let's just keep going. This chaos as it continues, this is a principle that we have to share with them, and here's how the best way we can do it is. We have examples from our lives, don't we? You and I have examples in our lives where we have trusted in God. And we can share with our kids, hey, this is when I trusted in God, and look how God came through for me. But you know what? (laughs) I'm just going to go out on a limb. I'm going to bet that you and I probably have some situations in our life where we leaned on our own understanding. (laughs) And how'd that go? And we need to share that with our kids with an attitude of repentance. 
Hey, this is what we're supposed to do, kids. And I remember this time where I, I didn't trust in God. I, I was fully leaning into my own understanding, and this is where it went awry. And I've asked God for forgiveness, and he's forgave me for that. But you can learn so much from my life about how Jesus works. We need to remind our kids of this passage in 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. <laughs> but everybody's afraid. Everybody's running around scared. We've got all these rules and all these regulations, and everybody, it's all fear-based. And oh, How do I deal with that? I know. I know that is the world we live in, and we need to live differently because our God has not given us a spirit of fear at all. They need that encouragement, and they need to see that lived out in our lives, parents. They're going to ask because their friends are scared. There are going to be situations that happen in their lives and in their friends' lives where there's illness and there's tragedy and those things happen. There's going to be fear, and we can reassure them from God's word. Eventually, some they're going to get to an age where they're going to ask you, why on earth is this world so messed up? Like, what on earth? What did you do, parents? Like, we're the ones in charge, right? And it's all our fault, right? Well, we contribute, yes, but it's kind of been this way for a while, let's just say. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. This is one you got to explain a little bit to them. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, the first thing we must help them understand is our God has not blinded them in any way. The world has blinded them. All of the things that people are drawn to, selfishness, pride, greed, they have blinded people from the truth, and they are wandering around in darkness, currently unable, so they think, to see the light. Now, you must understand the world intentionally blinds us, it deceives us, it tricks us. Sometimes we put the blinders on ourselves, and sometimes that blindness comes from just no exposure. When you're never exposed to the light, well, then, of course, you can't see. But eventually, you grow used to that, and it's as if you're not blind. And that's a very sad existence. But here's the beautiful thing. God has placed the desire within every human heart for Him. We will all seek Him through something. Many people seek Him through the wrong means. The world may have blinded them, but He can still shine brighter than the noonday sun. We must only be willing to open our eyes and see Him. When they might ask, well, how could people see Jesus then? If they're blinded, how could they see Jesus? Well, there's, there's a lot of answers to that question. I want to give them the simplest one I possibly could. <laughs> they might be able to see them through you because <laughs> they can see you. <laughs> they may never see the inside of this building. They may never see the Word of God, but they can see your life and your love for them and how you treat them. And that is all they might ever need to see to begin that relationship with Jesus. Your kids can understand that. Absolutely. James 4, 7. This is an encouraged one, hopefully, to adults as well to remember this. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Yes, it is possible for Satan to leave you alone. Did you know that? It is. We first show our kids what that looks like in our lives. We explain to them. We use the examples from our lives to help. You and I were tempted every single day with all kinds of different things. Our kids will be surrounded by temptation every single day of their life. But as you and I have grown in our faith, and we've realized that as we submit more to God, we resist the devil a little more frequently, even running away from him when necessary, tells us to do the same. Run away. Sometimes that's all you can do. Don't stand and fight. Run away. You're not being a coward. You're being smart. He's going to leave you alone. And he does. The same thing is true in each and every one of our lives. This promise, this is a promise from the Word of God. He will flee if you do these things. Yes, you can run off the devil. Yes, kids, as you fight those battles at school, yes, Yes, if you routinely push them away, eventually Satan will flee from you. He will. You can. Keep in mind, parents, when you share this conversation with your kids, there's going to come a point in time where they're going to say, hey, mom or dad, I'm really struggling with this. (laughs) They would have never even known that that was a sin or that they'd be struggling with it or that they're trying to flee They wouldn't even know that if you don't have this conversation with them to help them understand what sin is and how they can resist it and how the devil will flee from them. But now they're going to come to you for advice and help and prayer and his word and guidance and wisdom rather than trying to hide it from you as they battle it in their own lives. Because you opened the conversation with them right now in this school year in 2021. Psalm 119 is another famous passage, verse 133. Psalm 119, verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any wrongdoing have power over me. Establish my footsteps in your word, not establish my footsteps in biology, establish my footsteps in literature, in math, in pick the sport. No, (laughs) establish my footsteps in your word, establish my path in your word. How can we show our kids this? How can we show whoever it is that God allows us to have influence over this idea? What are we doing to establish our kids' footsteps in the word of God so that the evil will not have any power over me? There's another really famous psalm just a little bit earlier in that passage, 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light and to my path. This is how you will know what is right, what is good. It will light the way of God before you. A few weeks ago, we talked about a question Jesus asked in Luke 10. He asked the the legal expert, what do the scriptures say? That's a great question. What do they say? Well, we're sharing what they say today, and we can encourage and direct our kids. The world will teach us to follow our heart, not the word of God. And this is potentially the absolute worst advice of the world to this very day. The prophet Jeremiah wrote about it, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? All I can say is, oh my goodness, this is a trap. It's been lying there for so very long, and now it has been fully sprung on our kids. 
I can easily understand how people are deceived by their heart. It is the way of the world. Do what you want to do. Do what you feel, whatever feels good to you. Do what you think is right. Follow your heart wherever it leads you. If it comes from within, then no one can argue with it. That is the mantra of the world today. But it's not true. It's a complete lie. As a matter of fact, we can only change that a little bit and make it correct if it comes from the Spirit of God. Then we can follow. Then no one can question us. So parents, as we encourage our kids with these words, as they head back to school this year, I've got one final passage to share with you. It comes from the Apostle Paul once again. I think Paul wrote a lot of these inspirational words for a reason, because he was, and then he became, and he could look back and go, oh my, wow, God, I can't believe, oh my goodness. He, he was that complete contrast of the before and after photos that you see on TV, but they weren't photoshopped. For Paul, this was reality in his life. He experienced a radical change over the course of his life, where he had fully devoted now every element of his life to God. He was helping spread the gospel of Jesus all over the known world. He was raising up leaders. He was planting churches. He was solving church crises. And in this passage, he's writing to the church in Rome. Just Rome is today. It is the world in which we live, if you didn't know that. We've never outgrown Rome. It's the same thing, the same corruption over there, the same issues all around, the same sin and depravity everywhere, legalized, okay, out in the public. I mean, this is the same culture that we live in. If you've ever thought about it, look back at the Roman culture and go, you know, some of the things they did weren't all that bad compared to some of the things that we do today. Yeah, it's that kind of world. It was the capital of the known world, full of every element of worldly living, every worldly idea imaginable, every type of sin that man had invented to date existed within that world. And that's exactly where we're sending our kids to every single day. So Paul urges them, and he urges us the same. Romans 12, 2, a very, very famous passage. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and perfect will. Our kids must know that it is okay not to go along with the rest of the world. They have to know that. As a matter of fact, it's better than okay. It's what God wants. We are called to be different. We're a holy nation, a royal priest. It doesn't mean we're better. It means we're set apart for a special purpose, and our kids are part of that purpose. Instead, we need to teach our kids to allow God to change their mind, allow God to form their mind. Allow Jesus' teachings and His examples to transform them into something that makes this world look so much different to them and makes them look so much different to the world. It's a big, big deal. It will cause them, as they learn and as they hear these things, as they're exposed to the worldly things, it will cause them to think and question, and wonder, and ask questions, and ask for guidance, and ask for reassurance, rather than just blindly accept it as what they perceive as truth. He gives them something to counter these things with. That's our role as parents. There's so much great knowledge to be had within the schools. It's incredible. We have to balance that incredible knowledge out with the truth and make sure that they're in alignment. 
Our kids aren't able on their own to discern that yet. That's where we come in, to help them learn those kinds of things. Now, parents, if you think too hard about this, it can be very discouraging. It can be very hard. There aren't a lot of options. There aren't a lot of things that you're able to do, some of us, in our lives, in the way we live, and that's okay. And so I want to end with this passage of encouragement for you and for your kids as we pray to end this part of the service. Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10 says this. So do not fear. Remember, it's not a spirit of fear. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Parents, here's what that tells you. You don't have to do it. You have to trust in Him to do it through you. Don't be overwhelmed by the task at hand. It's too great. It's too awesome. It's too important. It's too incredible. The tradition, the, 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 the beginning where you're at right now in your family, the legacy that you have the potential of leaving of faith in your family, it's, it's never ending, quite honestly. It's an incredible thought. And right now you remember, don't fear. He's with you. He will provide the strength. He will provide the words. He will help those conversations, but you have to initiate it. You got to be prepared. That's what I want to encourage you with this morning. As we close this time, I know we're going to go into communion right after, but after that communion time, there's going to be a, a lengthy song set at the end. And so parents, maybe you're just in need of prayer. Maybe you're just overwhelmed at the school year, at the start of it, at the things in the world, maybe some specific issues with your kids. Please let us pray with you. Please let us pray for you. Maybe you're worried about something. Maybe there's some fear in you that's creeped up, and you're like, I got to find a God. I got to battle this. God, why am I so afraid? Please share that with someone. Allow them to pray for you. We, we can't fix it, but God can. Amen. We're just here to offer him to you and offer his peace to you and whatever guidance. What I love is when God takes your problems, your issues, your thoughts, and somehow, someway, miraculously, he pairs you up with someone who's been there, done that, and says, hey, I've struggled through those same things. Let me help you. <laughs> Let me help you. Father God, as we close this time in your word this morning, we got a daunting task ahead of us. It, it kind of seems like we, at every turn, we're, we're kind of headed off by the evil one. He just doesn't want us to make progress. He, he puts obstacles in our way. It's inconvenient. There's challenges. Father, there's so many incredible people out there in this world. There's so many incredible teachers and administrators and people that love our kids beyond measure. Father, we know you will guide and you will protect our kids. Father, we lift them up daily in our prayers. And you tell us right there in Isaiah, do not fear. I'm in control. I'm, I'm strong. I got this. We need to let you have it. And then, Father, we need to come right along beside you. And as our kids come home each and every day, we need to engage them. We need to interact with them. We need to encourage them. We need to love them. We need to share your word in them so they are firmly planted in your word. School is important. It's essential. You love education. You're the author and perfecter of all knowledge. But, Father, you've been removed from the way we study the knowledge. And we as parents need to combine that once again so our kids understand how important you are and essential to their learning you are. We love you, Jesus. We love you.
We can't imagine this life without you and we don't